0: Luke 22, verses 24 through 29, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. We just finished last week the discussion of the Last Supper. Uh, we could have gone into a lot more detail on communion, but we're, we're moving on into this next section. Now, rather this conversation chronologically happens exactly as Luke lays it out, we don't really know. We, 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 we know that this conversation does happen in the upper room that Luke is relaying that on the night of Christ's crucifixion, there's this discussion that comes up again with the disciples of who's the greatest. And I say the conversation comes up again because we've, we've seen this theme come up before in the gospel of Luke. If you still have your Bible out, you can just flip back a few chapters to Luke chapter 9. I want you to look at a few places where this conversation just, it keeps coming up among Jesus and his disciples. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48 An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. So this is a repeating theme with the disciples of this desire to figure out who's the greatest. Who's the one who's going to be top dog? Who's going to be the generals? Who are going to sit at at Christ's right hand in his new kingdom that he's inaugurating? There's this desire repeatedly to figure out who's the greatest. And the other gospel accounts recorded as well. If you go to Mark chapter 10... Starting in verse 43, I'll give you time to turn there. But Mark chapter 10, there's this discussion going on. We see this emphasis in Christianity of the exalted place of lowliness. It's an exalted lowliness. In Christianity, the, the way up is the way down. Exaltation comes through humiliation, that leading comes through serving. We see this real servant idea of servant leadership that those who go go in the front do so by serving. They do so by serving. The way up is the way down. And Matthew and Mark both look at this topic as well. Matthew, Mark chapter 10, they're, they're both um, with the same basic story of these two sons, James and John, want to know if they can sit at God's right hand, Jesus' right hand, in his coming kingdom. So down in verse 43, Jesus is answering them. He says, or verse 42, Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Sound familiar? And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be the slave of all, for even the Son of Man, Jesus is saying in reference to himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, now, the cross-reference, cross that's in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to take that home and look it up, Matthew 20 gives that same basic outline of the story of the one who's going to be first is, must become the slave, the servant of them all. Why? Because the Son of Man even came, not to be served, to be exalted, to be recognized as this great individual, but to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We know in the Gospel of John, In the upper room discussion, likely the reason why I say that, I'm not sure this is chronologically the next conversation they have, because mixed into the meal, what do we see Jesus do with his disciples in the upper room? This discussion of who's the greatest comes up. And what does Jesus do when they start talking about who's the greatest? He takes a towel. And he wraps it around himself and he goes around and he washes the feet of all the disciples. He serves them. This is the the lowly job that a servant would have had to wash all the dirt and grime and gross stuff off their feet from walking around in sandals. Jesus comes around and he's he's the the son of man is right there with them. God in human flesh is there. And what does he do? He serves. He serves. He serves. We get this concrete example from Jesus and his servant leadership by washing their feet there in the upper room. But the disciples have a real struggle with this idea. They keep coming back to this theme, who's the greatest, who's the greatest. They have a real struggle with this idea. And I think this theme is one of the more difficult hurdles to Christianity the issue that they have is no different than for many of us today. We, we all have our ideas of how we want life to go. The disciples have an idea of, of how they want this to turn out. Jesus is going to inaugurate his kingdom. And they, he's going to come in and kick out the Roman authorities, right? And they're going to have a big revolution. And, and they want to be great. They want to be on the front lines with Jesus. They want to be great in his kingdom so that they have Power right then, right there in, in their, their life that's going on right then and there. They had visions of King Jesus ruling over Israel soon, and they wanted to be desired to be in this group of power. What about that desire then, and this truth about Christianity, what, what is that desire? What, what makes that so difficult, this, this desire for recognition and prominence How is that so difficult? How does that conflict with what the message of Christianity is? Why are these things not, why do they not work together? Why does Jesus say the the one who's the greatest must be the one who is actually the servant? And I think the problem is why these clash so greatly is because the problems that come from this desire for recognition and greatness are antithetical to the gospel itself. This idea to be exalted and to be to kind of puff your chest up to be recognized to be lauded is antithetical to the gospel our fallen natures run counter to this idea of humility our fallen natures desire exaltation desire to be made much of and So that, that fallen nature runs counter to the idea of the gospel that demands a humility out of us. We've hit on this reality many times through the gospel of Luke. It's the necessity of being able to get low enough to actually understand the gospel. To actually get low enough so that you can actually understand and see the truth of the gospel. Jesus is laying down the prime example of humility for his followers. The pattern of those who are in authority is that they would lord it over their followers. They have this exercise lordship over them. But Jesus says that is not to be their way. The followers of Jesus must live and serve as he did. In order to see the clarity of the gospel, you have to be able to get low enough, humble enough to even recognize your need for the gospel. This this idea of trying to get higher or get become more elevated, more exalted, greater and greater and greater takes you farther away from your need to get low enough to see how desperately you really need the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ has come to save sinners it is not good me- a good message for you if you do not see the first reality that you are a sinner in need of saving. <laughs> And so when we take this idea of trying to achieve greatness, it takes us farther and farther away from the basic reality that we have to have at the ground level of the news of the gospel. We are sinners in need of saving. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place of not seeking for greatness, but, but a place of humility and service? Well, one answer is just we could um, become a people who are obsessed with false humility. Let's just pretend like we're humble. So we, we need to be humble, so let's, uh, let's put on a good show, and we'll be very polite and very deferring to people. We, we could just really work on to put that impression that we don't think highly of ourselves, and we value others more than ourselves. We could sure try that. We could try to just put on a, a facade of, of humility, but the truth would come out eventually. And I, and I, th- I think you probably are all, I mean, maybe you're, you are probably are all better than me, but this, this idea of, of trying to put on, uh, you do the right thing. Throughout the course of a week, you're trying to be a nice person. You try to, you put yourself at the back. You, 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 you take the, the, you know, you take the humble road and, and you prefer others. And all week long, this kind of taken advantage of. And you get to the end of the week and you're mad because no one recognized how humble you were being. That happens. It happens to me. I'll confess. And then what, what's, what's coming to light there? That your humility wasn't really humility. All along, you were very proud of your humility, and you were just trying to make a point of that I, I need to be recognized. It wasn't true humility. That's a, that's a pretense of humility, pretending to prefer others, but really doing it all along so that people will applaud you and your humility. That's a false humility. That is not what Christ is calling for. So pretending to be humble and glad to serve is not a good answer. How are we going to honestly get there? To this place that Jesus is calling us to. Not one of achieving greatness, but recognizing our humility. And I think the only way to get there is by actually seeing how humble we ought to be. And by fully grasping the gospel, by looking clear-eyed into Christ's humility and his service. The problems that underlie this need for recognition, this need to feel great, is that it's, the reason why it's antithetical to the gospel is because that idea gives full license to our pride. Lift yourself up. Make yourself great. Have people recognize you. Work for the applause of those around you. And the other, the gospel, rips all that away from you. It it, it puts a clear perspective on who you are, not in comparison to those around you, but in comparison to the holiness of God. What do we have to be proud about? What do we have to be proud about? June is supposedly... A whole month built upon pride. I mean, if, you've, if you're on the internet or watch TV, you can't, you get, if you subscribe to magazines, you cannot miss the reality our culture is pushing upon us. This whole month of June is one of pride. Pride, it's, it's supposed to be pride month. And the, the sexual revolutionaries, they parade how proud they are. What what is that a celebration of? When you really think about what is this pride? What is that a celebration of? What exactly do they do? Are they are they proud of? They're, are they proud of the reality that they do exactly what they want to do? And therefore, we all should be uh, amazed at that. We're, that that because I do exactly what I want to do because. I am ultimate in my life because everything that I desire and everything that I want to seek after, I desire and seek after. You should now be proud. I I should applaud you for that. It's it's ironic because June 4th, uh, just this past June 4th, was the 75th anniversary of the storming of Normandy, right? Did you see all that coverage of the storming of Normandy? And, and the, the sacrifice made by so many people, so many young men charging those beaches, thousands of them, giving their lives, serving a cause greater than themselves, totally against personal desire. Does anyone really want to lay down their life? But they are serving something bigger than themselves. Thousands of young men put aside their personal desires and sacrifice and service to a cause greater than themselves. That's valor. That's something that you look at and you say, there is something worth being proud about. That is giving. Something the world looks at and says you should be proud of. But today, we are supposed to look at grown men and women who do exactly what they want to do. Only saying yes. Yes to whatever they desire for themselves and take pride in it. And the reality is, that is across the board of the reality for humanity. We constantly want this some sort of applause of we give in to our own desires. Every sinner wants to glory in their sin. How special I am, how amazing I am, how perfect I am. Don't you recognize it? Every sinner wants to glory in their sin, but there is no special prize for it. We, as fallen sinners, are high on ourselves. We're intoxicated with ourselves. We're intoxicated with ourselves. And that is what makes Christianity so difficult. It is an offensive religion. We work so hard to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. And we, 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 we're exalting and exalting ourselves. And Christianity comes along and says, you have nothing to boast about. You are laid low before a holy God, this God who is righteous and perfect in all of his attributes. You have fallen far short of the glory of God. This is what makes Christianity so hard. It's offensive. It confronts us with the truth about ourselves. The truth that your desires can't be trusted. The truth that your desires can't be trusted. You are a fallen rebellious sinner and we all in our natural state are at war with God and his purposes. We turn our backs on the God who made the world. For many, the whole idea of our existence is finding whatever you think will make you happy and chasing it with all of your might. But if making yourself happy in this life with the things of this life then Christianity is not for you. If your goal is to make yourself happy in this life with the things of this life, Christianity is not for you. The sexual revolutionary says, My personal pleasure, my desires, my inner feelings, those are what I am pursuing, and I'm, I'm giving all that I have towards these things. The materialist says, He who has the most toys wins. The recluse, the problem is the world is everyone else. I'm just going to be on my own and I'm okay by myself. It's everyone else is the problem. The self-righteous person, the religious person, I'm so pleased with myself. Their hope, their happiness is found in, I'm so pleased with myself, God must be too. All believe that their pursuit, it is their pursuit that will make them happy because they know what is best. They are at their cores self worshippers enamored with their own perceived greatness there is no thought that maybe you don't know what's best for you there's no thought that maybe you don't know what's best for you not at all we have drank the kool-aid of our own greatness why uh, this this intoxication that the disciples are trying to discover Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Is antithetical to the gospel message. As J.I. Packer says, we spend so much energy thinking great thoughts of ourselves, we have no room left for great thoughts of God. We spend so much time thinking great thoughts of ourselves, we have no room left for great thoughts of God. What do we have to be proud about? God made everything. All that is here was here long before you ever showed up, and all that is here will be here long after you are gone. God has made everything. When we go to bed, certain we'll see the sun rise. But as the sun goes by us today, if we could personalize the sun... It has no, no idea whether it's going to see you tomorrow or not. We're certain it's going to come back around. But the sun goes by and it has no idea if it will see you. It's made so many revolutions. We are a blip on its screen. What do we have to be proud about? Every breath you take is a moment of pure grace. Every breath that we take is a moment of pure grace. God has made it all and is deserving of of. All of our worship, we have been created. There is a creator. You do not exist unless some force outside of yourself makes it so. Every moment of your existence is a moment of grace. What do you have to be proud about? Your life is gift. Secondly, what have we done? What do we have to be proud about? What did we do with this gift of creation? What do we do with this grace? We rebelled. We convinced ourselves that we know what is best. We get very upset in our culture when we talk about injustices. When when somebody deserves A and they get B, we're very upset about injustices. That's not right. This person did whatever task, they should be recognized for it, and when they aren't, that is an injustice. We're very upset about injustice. What about cosmic injustice? God deserves injustice every ounce of worship and devotion and obedience and praise out of your life. And what does he get? Not all of it. (laughs) Sometimes not any of it. That's cosmic injustice. What do we have to be proud about? We are serving God in our rebellion, cosmic injustice. He's made it all and is deserving of every ounce of our worship and obedience and he doesn't get it. What is there to be proud of? This is... This is going down into the depths of the reality of who we are before a holy and righteous God. Because now look, which puts us, if you're willing, if you're willing and able to get there. Now sometimes, I know I'm being, this is heavy. And so we hear this and they go, okay, Darren, here he goes again. If, if you're un, unable to get to this place, you have no concept of what the gospel really saves you from. You have no, you're not blown away by the incredible service of Christ to people who don't deserve it. If you refuse, if we refuse to confess this reality about ourselves, then we have no eyes, no, no, we are not blown away by the grace of God and the gospel. Because look at Christ's action on our behalf. Here we are buried, nothing to be proud about, under sin. What does Christ do? He is flawless in his perfections. He has never unjustly turned to God. He has never done an injustice. And here he is in this room with these disciples and he's calling them the kind of life he, is, he has lived, a giving of himself, a life in service to others. So much so that in a few hours he's going to go to the cross and die to bring about the propitiation, the wrath appeasing of God for their sins so that they can be forgiven For all of their injustice, their cosmic injustice against God, they can be forgiven. He's going to lay down his life. He's going to stand in their place. He's going to stand in our place and take our judgment against himself so that for all who are willing to get this low, repent and and turn from the, the reality of their humility, our injustice would then be forgiven and his just record given to us. How are we able to serve in this way? Remember I said that's the answer we're trying to get to. Not by pretending humility. How are we to actually serve not seeking our own greatness, but in an honest service to others? By clearly seeing ourselves in our humility and the beauty of the gift of the gospel. We said earlier that if making yourself happy in this life with the things of this life is your goal, then Christianity is not for you. But by contrast, If making yourself happy in this life, if making yourself happy in this life with God Himself and eternal joy never diminished or stolen, then Christianity is your only hope. If making yourself happy in this life with God Himself, what liberates you to not seek your own greatness but to serve is by recognizing that in Christ there's nothing higher for you to achieve there's no greater thing for you to grab a hold of. If you have God through Christ, which is the only way to get a right relationship with God, if you have God through Christ, there's no higher place for you to climb to. You're there. You have God himself, and that liberates you then to have a life of service because you're not trying to climb up anywhere. You have the creator. You have God himself through the work of Christ. Where does this gospel then take us? If you look at the end of our passage, he's speaking to them about this coming kingdom. Those who are Christ will be brought into his kingdom. In a very real way, we are able to serve and not demand our pleasure or our preferences because of the ultimate hope of this coming kingdom where we will feast with Christ himself. We will know the fullness of his joy. We will have Christ. We will know his pleasures forevermore in his presence. This is what Christ has done for us. These undeserving creatures. This is what he has served. Reconciled them back to himself through his work on the cross. Therefore, those who have gone through this reconciliation now realize what I have in Christ liberates me. That my life doesn't have to be about me getting mine in my life right now. But my I have, I have been given by grace a gift I could not afford. What greater thing could I seek after than what I already possessed? And so, therefore, I'm able to lay my life down and serve because of what I have in Christ. I want to close by reading this passage from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 say this about Christ. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, And bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we prepare for communion, let's remember the undeserved nature of this gift, the humble service of Christ for our behalf, the sacrifice of Christ. And then his commission to treasure this gift above all other gifts that then liberates us to go out into the world, not seeking our greatness and our own desires, our own preferences, but glad in what we have been given freely in Christ and liberated to serve others for their joy in God and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, help us in this place this morning. Father, I desire truth about ourselves in this place so that we might truly rejoice in the gospel. If we show up God and convince ourselves of some sort of falsehood about ourselves, then the gospel becomes just a trinket to add to our life instead of the reality of the gospel that saves us, the gospel that brings us life, that takes us from death to life. Father, I want the joy of that gospel to just permeate our lives, the treasure, the hope, the joy that we have in Jesus, a treasure that is above all other treasures. Give us eyes in these next few moments, God, as we consider our own sinfulness as we turn from the things that we have done this week that we should not have done and the things we neglected to do that we should have done. God, convict us in these next few minutes and then remind us of the hope that is held out to us in the gospel as we partake of these elements this morning. God, do a work in our hearts that we would treasure you above all else. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.